This morning, I'd like, if you would, to turn to Psalm 119. We're going to take part in our, uh, this is the last lesson of four from this psalm that David wrote. And so as we look at this this morning, I want us to allow this to kind of guide us into the last part of the discussion. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 119, starting in 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I've not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. This morning, we're going to talk about how God's word guides us to something greater. Before we do, though, there's there's a couple of things I want to tackle this morning, just very, very briefly and quickly, because I believe that one of the things that does lead us from darkness and one of the ways that God encourages us out of darkness is through service. And yesterday we had the opportunity. I want to show you a picture of taking part as a team from Heartland in a walk to cure Huntington's disease. Can you give me the next picture, Ryan? This team of people joined with Joni Gardas and we walked yesterday five kilometers. Now, I didn't share with my wife before I talked her into going with me how far that was. Uh, I'm not even so sure I realized it myself. Um, But a group of Christians yesterday gathered around a sister in Christ and we walked with her and she encouraged us. She spurred us on in that walk, and I pray that the funds that were collected from that walk yesterday help to find a cure for this disease. And I hope you'll all join me in that prayer. Now, the person who helped organize our team for this is the second part of this that I that I want to recognize. And that's our youth minister, Jeff Adair. He and his wife, Sarah, helped organize our team. And this is a picture of them last night. This carried on their weekend. This was after the gospel meeting with our Hispanics last night, which they also provided child care for. After the walk and after they painted the library and prepped the elders conference room to be painted. They are serving in an awesome way, this congregation with our kids and the things they do. And I just wanted to thank them this morning for that, because they, too, are help giving us an example of how we can be led out of darkness into a life of light. So let's move into our text this morning because I want to I want us to get uh, to get firmly into it. I want to make they say never to make more than three points in a sermon because then people get tired of it. But God and I decided you could handle five this morning. OK, so bear with me and if, I'll, I'll make sure that I get them all in because I think they'll be fun. I think they'll be fun and I think they'll be encouraging. And I think at the end, they're going to be very challenging. Point number one, the plan God has in Christianity will lead us from a life of darkness through the light of Jesus into a life of light. 
You follow me on that? God's word leads us to Jesus and the light of Jesus will lead our lives out of darkness and into light. And David planted the seed for this. No pun intended, because Jesus is what? The seed of David. Amen. So we know that David's actions, his beliefs and some of the things that he taught are were the, the foundational beliefs that would lead us to Jesus. Now, here's what I can promise you this morning. There's nothing this world offers that is more powerful, more guiding, more loving, more encouraging than Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing in this world. There is no light that is brighter than Jesus. And he is available to us today. Now, I wanted to illustrate darkness to you, so I thought of a story. Um, when, when, when I was a little kid, my parents took us to Mammoth Cave National Park. Have you ever heard of that in this great state of Kentucky? And they take you on this guided tour of the cave and they take you deep, deep, deep into the earth and they get you down there and they won't let you out. In fact, the way they found that cave is a minister. There was a minister in the area and he found the cave and he would round up his congregation on a Sunday morning. and He would lead them deep into the cave and they would blow out all the torches on the road on the on the cave floor down to the spot where he would begin preaching. And no one had a match. So they were stuck there until he was done. So y'all want to go for a walk next Sunday? And he would preach and he would preach and and all around them would be darkness except for the little area that would be lit up. Now, when we got down there, I had a little brother. I was eight and he was three. And the gentleman who was leading the tour, he said, we are going to bring the lights down. And if you are the parent of a child, we suggest you put your hands over their eyes. Well, my dad said, wait a minute, it's going to get dark. Why why would I be worried about his eyes? I'm not going to do that. When those lights went off and sheer darkness hit, my brother screamed like a girl. The most blood curling scream you could ever imagine. Now, he also said, if you have older children, you should you should have a, a touch to them so they know your presence. The lights went out. My brother screamed. I grabbed the hand of my father and I held on tight. Well, when the lights come on, that guy that I was holding on to, he didn't want to claim me. I don't know who that was, but he was very comforting. Here's my point. Without light, without light, church, we don't know who brings us comfort. So before we go in the darkness, before we battle darkness, let's reach up and grab light. Let's allow light to bring us out of darkness. Let's allow light to bring us comfort from darkness. David understood this in verse five, as he claims that God's word would be the light that would bring his generation out of darkness. Now, I'm going to plant that seed with you for just a second. His Generation. Look at verses 106 and 107. 
I've taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your will. Now, David acknowledges two factors in the process of being guided by God's word. I tricked you. here. I said five points, but I'm going to give you a whole bunch of bullet points in between that. The first one is this. He made an oath. He made an oath. Turn, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10 in church. I've got to be fast about this this morning, but because I want to get this all in Nehemiah chapter 10. And we're going to see an agreement that all of God's people make with God. Now, there's a whole bunch of uh, names at the beginning of this, and I'm going to bear your ears in my mind and I'm not going to read all those names. But I want to pick up the text in verse 28. He says this, and the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand all these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses to the servant of God and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Now, something I want you to notice in this is in the oath that they made, they made it together. What are we doing here this morning? Why did we come here this morning? To worship? Because why? Why did we come here this morning to worship? Because at some point, those of us who confessed sin in our life and gave our life to Jesus, we made a confession and we made an oath that we would do what? That we would worship. And that we would follow Jesus. That we would believe in God. And that we would go to work and get busy. A whole bunch of things in that oath. Now, here's something interesting. I wonder if someone... In this group of people, say, would have decided that they weren't going to follow one of the laws. They weren't going to fulfill the oath. I wonder if the people of this time would have had a difficult time kind of pointing that out to their fellow Israelite. They made the oath together. Why do you think they made the oath together? Because they were a community of people for a common purpose. So, number one is that David made an oath, and I want you to see how important that oath is. It's so important, in fact, that it's something that a community congregated around. And the second thing is this, isn't it? He endured the discomfort that came with his decision. Consider life for just a second. When you make an oath and you make bad decisions, do you have to endure the consequences? Yesterday, I saw a coach do something I've, I've never seen done in all my years. The offensive line on the team wasn't blocking. So at halftime, he took all the offensive linemen and put them at running back positions. And took all the running backs and receivers and put them at offensive line. And he took all of those running backs and receivers and, and made them run. Or, I'm sorry, all of those linemen and made them run right up the middle every play. And to see what it felt like to get hit without any blocking. As a consequence to their decision 
not to show up to play. We endure the pain of our decisions. We, we, we celebrate the blessings of our decisions. But these are two things that David acknowledges here in the process of being guided by God's word. Verse 108 and 109. Back to the text. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my own hands, I will not forget your law. Now, in his commitment, he's not seen burden, but blessing. So he responds in praise. Look at James chapter two for me. Real quick. Now, think about this for just a second in his burden. Or in his commitment, he hasn't seen the burdens, he hasn't acknowledged the burdens. And he praises now. Do you think that in this commitment that he was ever he ever had a burden? That it was ever hard? That it was ever difficult? I mean, they made a commitment to completely go against the grain of their their at what everybody else around them was doing. James one, chapter two says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, follow me on this for just a second. Christianity can be tough. Yes. I see at least some young people are shaking their head. Christianity can be tough. Do you see the tough parts of Christianity as a burden? Or do you see them as a blessing? Because the text here to the new Christian says it's to be a blessing. When Christianity is tough, when we face trials, when our faith is tested and it produces perseverance, that should be a blessing to us. Preston, my youngest son, was one of those linemen yesterday. That got to play fullback. And this kid's well on his way. <laughs> Which I have to say, Kayla, I thought you kept changing outfits this morning. I, the, she had, she had pink, no, she had blue on. Oh my goodness. Preston was one of those linemen that got to run the ball yesterday with no blocking. And I heard him grunt the first time he got hit. I heard him grimace when he got hit high and hit low and then got piled on. And he got up and he smiled and he walked back to the huddle. And he did just what we're going to see our example do here in just a minute. And I'll, I'll share with you the rest of the story. He responds not by asking for less, but look at look, he asks for more. Look at in First Chronicles. There's a great example of this in First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. There was a whole book written about this. It's the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez asks God this. He says, he says, increase our territory. Give us more, not less. Now, I want you to understand this. I say this with with absolute absolute grace and and mercy, knowing that not all people are alike. 
Jeff and Sarah, like yesterday, Jeff, when I called you and said, Jeff, do you need me? What I was really saying is no mas. <laughs> OK, uh, five kilometers was enough for this old man. I don't know how they weren't asking for less this weekend. Do you hear what I said? I don't know why Jeff didn't call or email me or email someone in the office and say, look, Brother Tony, uh, there's this huge weekend. Can, can I please pass something off? Can I please give something to someone else? But it's not his nature because he understands in all of this service and all this work, he says, give me more. He doesn't shy away from the burden of the light or run away from the responsibility. He responds by asking for more. Yeah, Christianity's hard. Yeah, to understand the commitment that you make and the oath you make and following through with that is hard. But and how often do you catch yourself instead of asking for more, asking for less? God, you know, ease up. Ease up, man. I need some time to myself. Ease up. I don't, don't, no, don't give me another burden. Don't give me another problem. I don't need another trial. But that's not in the contract, is it? That wasn't in the oath. The commitment was, I'll follow you. Point number four. David learned the importance of using God's word as a light for his path by identifying what I believe is three things. The first one is the traps of evil. David, as he lived life, could identify when there was evil trying to trap him. And, and you do that, don't you? As you live life and you go in and out of the ebb and flow of life, you, you, it's the frontal lobe process of, of a Christian, right? You learn what burns you and you say, I'm not going to touch that again. Right. And when you begin to go in the presence of that evil a second time, you say, hey, that hurt the first time. Right. Um, I, you know, I don't learn easy, but I was changing light fixtures the other day. And on the first one, I didn't shut the power off and I succeeded in changing the fixture. And on the second one, I decided not to shut the power off. And the next thing you know, I'm walking around the rest of the day like this because I got shocked. It shocked the dew out of me. The third time, you know what I did? Wouldn't shut the power off before I started messing with it. Kids, public service announcement. We learn to identify evil. The development of personality. What David went through in his life, in his journey from darkness to light, it developed his personality. He learned about who he was and not only who he was to himself, but who he was to God. What do we see David doing when they bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the city? He's dancing. He's celebrating. He's flamboyant. He's, some people said, including his wife, you're out of your mind. But in that moment, he realized who he was to God and he didn't care. Because it was more important that he celebrated God than it was to please everyone around him. And the third is this, as he understood the length of the journey. Remember the rope. Last week, David come, came to an understanding in his life of what eternity looked like compared to that little piece of time that we live life. He understood the length of time, verses 110 through 112. Now, where does this lead us? 
to our conclusion. Well, David's lamp was one of written words that we learn here in Psalm 119. Ours consists of three identities that I want us to end this set of lessons with. The first is we too have the written and inspired word. In fact, we have a portion of that word that is more important to us because we know the end of the story. Amen. We don't have to rely on prophecy. We don't have to rely on the what if this comes true or what if it doesn't. We can read the end of the story. We can read the story all the way up to the point where Jesus crushes the head of evil. We don't have to guess. Isn't that awesome? God's given us a wonderful gift in his word, his inspired word. The second identity is we have the living word in Jesus. The word of God shows us Jesus. It shows us the living example of who it is we follow. I thank God that I had 44 years to learn about the man who taught me everything, my dad. I praise God for that time I had to learn who he was and what our family represented, our heritage, as the Bible talks about. I praise God for that because I know I know who a dishman is. I know what what our values are, what what our personalities are. I know our blood work. I had time to learn it. And we have that opportunity in Jesus. Look at look at the book of John, the gospel of John in chapter one. I'm going to read this text for you because this is where the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to the to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The living word in Jesus is the second identity that we've been so blessed with to be given. And finally, the Holy Spirit. You know, in Acts 2 and 38, uh, Mark talked in class this morning about Acts 2.36, and he said, you know, growing up, we kind of had this 
this Peter and the and the the the, the sermon at Pentecost attitude where we were kind of left with, you know what? This Jesus was among you and you killed him. Now, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. And I'll tell you what you ought to do about it. And I'll tell you what every person, every individual from now into eternity ought to do about it. You ought to stop. We ought to confess our sin. We ought to confess our belief in Jesus Christ. And we ought to be baptized, immersed in the water of baptism. And we ought to live the remainder of our lives here on earth following Jesus to one day enjoy the destiny of heaven with God. That's what we ought to do. That's the gospel. And that Holy Spirit is the third identity that God has given us to help guide our feet. It all began with his word and his word became flesh. And in that flesh was a life lived to give us an example of who and what to follow. And in that example was the opportunity to make, take an oath and make a commitment that I will follow Jesus wherever he takes me, that I believe with all my heart that he is the son of God and that he died on a cross for my sins. And I will die with him in the immersion of water and be raised with him to be with God. And I will settle in my life for nothing less. We have the opportunity to make that oath and make that commitment. And then we can enjoy living with him. And when we have trials and we have sorrow and we have grief and we have all these things that we have to deal with, we can turn to him and be strengthened by his Holy Spirit and be inspired by his word. His word through spirit and life can be the lamp into our feet from this world of darkness to the holy light of heaven. I believe that's what David taught us. That's the foundation for the word of God that David left us with. Church, this morning, um, I'm going to close. Uh, I about called you Jerome, Jordan. <laughs> you two look kind of like. Um, I want to close with this thought. What would you need to change? For you to follow him. What would you need to do right here, right now, today. For you to walk out of this place. Filled with the Holy Spirit, following the living word, Jesus. And allowing the word of God to be a lamp to your feet. What would need to happen? I'll let you decide as we stand and say. Mm-hmm. Open.